Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast, we're going to be talking about eight comic book references from Mania you may have missed, featuring our friends from Source Pages. All that right after this ad we have no control over. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll, and with me today, I have two good friends from Source Pages, Brian V. Klein and Haley Hobbs. How's it going, guys? Excellent. I'm doing great. Fantastic. Yes. Good. Thank <laughs> you for having us on here. I don't know why I've never had this idea before, but you guys have been covering extensively the comic books, like covering in source pages, like all this content for weeks and weeks of like comic book primers, which all you guys to go listen to. Go search source pages on all your podcast apps. They've been doing primers for who all? Kang? Modoc. Modoc, and then we did one with that was Ant Man and Scott and Cassie, pretty much focused, and Scott and another character that they may have, you know, hinted at in this movie. Ooh, but we Nadia we, we know Van Dyne, Nadia new, Van Dyne, the new wasp, the all new, all different wasp. It could be, but hmm. we can get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so they, y'all been doing that over there, and and we had this idea to just have you guys on and tell us. Just like condense it down to a few like cool nuggets uh, as a way to tell people about your podcast, but also as a way to like just talk about some comic things because we don't do that much here um, because partially because I don't want to know too much, you know. Like I always like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm di- like, you guys are awesome and you guys dig into the source material. I'm always scared to know too much because I'm scared I'll get like too uh, consumed by it. <laughs> we can debunk the myth for you. They don't really draw too much direct adaptation from the comics, which is kind of the cool part of what we do. Yeah. 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 That's one thing MC has always been good at is like taking enough from the comics, but then putting it on twists. So it still leaves you guys some surprises. Right. And that's one of the things I've mentioned it all the time is the fact that that's why I love how they do that case in point. Like when we did the primer for Hawkeye, we knew that they were going to use that fraction run. We saw bits and pieces of it just with Pizza Dog and the correlation between the two of them. So you get that general feel for it, but then the story is like 90% different in the actual TV show. So you get to know the characters. So Yeah, that's cool, man. I love the way the MCU has done it so far. I, mm-hmm. I feel like the, the adaptation piece has always been really cool because I am always nervous. Like, oh, we know this thing about Kang and it's going to be this thing. And then they figure out some way to twist it on me. Right, and even that was the way with Thanos. I remember seeing when everyone at the end of Infinity War, they're like, we know Adam Warlock's coming, because Adam Warlock was a big part in the comic series between Infinity Gauntlet and and ending the Infinity War. They're like, we don't need him. Here's a whole new thing. But it, it, it was the one thing where a lot of people are like so anxious about it, but then when it doesn't happen... It doesn't matter because what they put out was so good anyway. It was just like, most people now aren't even realized, like, oh yeah, Adam Warlock did have a big part in figuring out Thanos and getting rid of him, but mm-hmm. nope, that's, like I said, it gives you that little nugget of, you know, taste of it, but it doesn't, you know, have to follow that path to get to the end result. Yeah, Ashley brought up last night that in the comics, one of the, at least one of the times they fought Kang, the Black Knight had a big part in being able to take on Kang at some mm-hmm. point, uh, and that's, uh, you know, we, we know the Black Knight's been introduced, and if they, do they have a path to get him to that point where we're going to see him fighting Kang at some point? Is that going to be tied in or even just referenced? I don't know. I think with him being as big and bad as they've already shown him, um, I don't. Well, that's the thing is, though, right now they have so many characters that they can pick from, which they're going to have to do. Like we know that it's leading up to another big, you know, secret wars. 
which secret wars are they going to adapt though or or you know with the way that the multiverse thing's going it's pretty much i think it's going to be the 2015 the most recent run right we're so confident in that that that's what we're starting our big run where we're going to read all 100 and how many 120 comics over the next whoa two years because we've got time until that movie comes out but in the original wow. secret wars from the 80s kang was pretty much like doom's like sidekick so huh it it all depends on when a lot of times when a character goes from being a oh i know who he is to oh we know who you are it's kind of hard to sort of relegate him back to being like a like it would be hard now in the comics for thanos to be nothing but the thanos that everyone in the world knows so kang now right. has already jumped to that next level of ooh because we saw what he could do and we saw the power he had in Loki, but now we saw what he could do now and what his potential is with that mid credit scene, too. So Right. I mean, just, yeah, the basic idea that there's that many of them and they're apparently somehow working together at this point. Which for you, now. Yeah. For <laughs> now. For now. Which, I mean, that's what He Who Remains described. Like, first, first it was a time of peace. And collaboration. (laughs) (laughs) And how quickly that will fall apart. (laughs) And and one thing we brought up last night is we don't know how long of a time it's been since the end of Loki when the timeline started converging and the multiverse opened up again to now. If it's only been like six months, a year, two years. Well, the problem is there is that doesn't that that statement you just said doesn't mean anything because like we're looking when you're looking at the timeline. Like, there is no time. That happened outside of time. So, like, that just created the possibility that timelines can exist, so they have always existed. You know what I mean? Right, but they haven't been in contact with each other. That's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, for one comic reference is that they've already had a Council of Kings. And the problem was, is at the end, Immortus, who was one of the, the three people we saw at the end of the, in the mid credit scene, was Ramatut, Immortus, and I don't know if it's Scarlet Centurion or if it's if it's Iron Lad or a combination of the two of them, or it could be a new character. But Immortus was the one that when they did that, he started killing off the ones and then putting in robotic replacements in their place that he could control. Because at the end of the day, it's like Haley brought up the rule of two in the Sith. When you have that many evil people, they all want to crave the power. They all want to be in charge. And so mm-hmm. it's probably going to fall like it's going to implode on itself be some real synergy if they created a rule of two with the kangs <laughs> <laughs> i think that might end up being like there a, can only be one kang <laughs> we know where you got that from yeah for sure but it would kind of make sense because isn't he kind of always trying to like in comics there's also a thing where he's like trying to build the perfect version of himself mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. some degree where like He's trying to create the timeline. So so one is always trying to build the perfect one. You know what I mean? Uh, right. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And he's always running into himself on his timelines because he's peppers him. It's almost like in that, um, in Doctor Who, when they placed Clara all along the Doctor's timelines from the beginning until the, the end point. He puts himself in, but he's, avail- he's around at all times. The thing is, but he uses that uh, time vortex thing so much, he basically doesn't age. So this one that he, that one that um, technically they said the prime or the exiled Kane, he could have been twenty thousand years old for all we know, right? Because the Kangs have gone through like they've gone sometimes the long route and went through time five thousand years, but they don't age much. So because mm. that's what that's what the time I wouldn't want to call it the time vortex, but that's what it kind of does to the character. It doesn't make you age. Gotcha. So, man. Okay. So first off, uh, Haley, what did you think of Quantum Mania? I really liked it. 
I liked um I liked how honestly, even though it was kind of a crazy movie, how honestly straightforward it was. Like this was mm. our story, this was the problem, and this was the solution. Or was it? I loved our little cliffhanger at the end. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's a great cliffhanger. And we know that it wasn't a solution. But I mean, like letting Kang out would also have not necessarily been a solution. You know what I mean? Like it it yeah. just means they would have fought again. You don't we can't know that you're gonna bet on that Kang to win. Although that's something we've been speculating. I don't know if you guys have heard the podcast the last couple, but like a lot of people, including us, have been speculating that like down the line we might need to go back to the quantum realm and retrieve this Kang from this uh time storm or whatever. What's it called? The quantum storm? Wherever he's in now, because he was in that little eddy control it doesn't know yeah yeah i think he's still stuck in there too i think so too a lot of somebody said they went back and rewatched it and it looks like he shrinks into it instead of you know well it makes sense because it didn't get destroyed in the first place so why would he be destroyed going into exactly exactly he could be down there just like seeing all the versions of himself the the you know quantum possibilities or whatever yeah Um, so what about you bvk what were your thoughts on uh quantum mania Honestly, the, when I got done watching it the first time, I had to close my eyes for about 30 seconds because it was such a visual. Just I literally had to express my eyes mm. and had to sit there and think and process some of it because it was just like, like Haley said, it was a straightforward story, but there was just so much. And I'm going like, because the, the last eight to 10 minutes of the movie kind of threw me with Kang and then with Scott doing the, oh my God, what did I wait? Did do we know? Because that's what everyone's thinking that that king that we've seen is going to be this big bad, but now we find out that it's probably not going to be. So I think that lets Scott off the hook a little bit, being like, "Well, I didn't, I didn't free him. He stood his ground and said, no, 'No, I'm not going to do this.'" So, mm-hmm. but then at once the mid credit scene rolled around, I was like, "My God, this was so great!" But then I had to sit there and sit there and spend time with my friend Jack, who hadn't seen Loki at all, and he's trying to question everything that was going on i'm like just go see loki man why didn't you see it before i told you already why like, didn't you do the required watching <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the main thing i saw a lot of the critics are saying that the movie relied too much on knowing other properties leading into this it's like that's marvel's model it's always been that way but also like i don't think it does like you the only thing it really relied on like is that you know that he saved the world at some point mm-hmm. um because he Which mentions that a lot yeah, that's in game. So yes, but you can just—he doesn't even really get into like what he did to save the world. Like it doesn't like none of that matters. Mm-hmm. What does matter is the uh, the movie itself, and like it's a pretty self-contained story. He explains like the timeline. He shows the mm-hmm. the the circular timeline, the one branching. Like he explains all that. I mean, the post-credit scene. Yeah, you need to know what's going on in Loki to understand that post-credit scene. But that's about it, if, as far as I can see or even know what kind of character kang was going to be because of how he remains explained him at the end like you thought i was you know i'm evil wait till you see my other guys you know right but you don't need that and this this character is so different from he who remains like i I just don't think so many complaints i'm hearing about this movie are like just so unfounded in the actual movie they're just complaining to complain practically at this point yeah People complaining about, um, and I'm really, like, I'm happy to say, like, flaws in a movie. I really am. But, like, I just don't see these big flaws people are talking about with this one particularly. Like, people are talking about being too much the Marvel formula. Like, I thought this was one of the most, like, interesting world-building, like, the the rebels and the, and the uh, 
you know, the rebels in the empire kind of story with like the Kangs and then these little group plucky rebels that like holes. I love when people talk about the Marvel formula, like in a negative connotation, because it clearly works. So whatever. Right. <laughs> well, it clearly works. And it's things like this. Like, I just don't think this is that similar to what people think of as the Marvel formula. This is like creating an entire new world and having him like lead the rebels against the, uh, this Kang and like, I don't know. It's just so different to me that like, I just don't see why that that's a weird complaint I keep hearing. And even in that sense, I don't even see now that I think about it, most movies have a clear three arc setup. It's like this one, it really doesn't because it goes from that first part to the quantum realm really quick. Then it's a matter of discovery for a long time and learning the stuff. And then it's like, we know about the revolution. We know about this thing going on. We learn about King and then it's sort of like, the end so the third part of the the second part of the movie is a lot longer and the first and the third parts are shorter so it's not like a mm. clear like you know we hit this we do this we do that and like i said even at the end it's sort of just like they throw you you think the movie's over and then they throw you for a loop more with like wait what's going on here really yeah so for sure uh it's it's uh i think it's a really interesting twist on the marvel formula and people are People are just hating on Marvel because it's so big and they want to like kind of whatever yeah. talk bad about the popular thing and don't it's the pop movie of right now and people don't want to be into it. But I just think it's great. All the criticisms for the movies recently have been the same, which tells me that they can't really find anything actual to criticize. <laughs> yeah. And there are criticisms like there are reasons to want Marvel not to be as big as it is. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people criticizing the idea that like. It's real. Marvel takes over the theater for weeks at a time and no one can get any other movies in. You know, these like smaller 30, 40 million dollar movies that are being made, like they don't get made anymore to go to theaters at all. They go to like Netflix or this thing. To me, that's fine. Like I don't care that they don't go to theaters, but there's something to be said about the communal experience. Like going to see a mm-hmm. comedy in theaters is great, but comedies don't come out in theaters that much anymore. Um, yeah. And a lot of that is because of the suppressive power of. Things like these big tent poles that like Marvel will take up six screens at your local theater for that long and like they just can't get a comedy in, you know? Plus, this movie is designed and made to be seen on a big screen, a really good big Absolutely. screen. I, I saw it at my Dolby Theater by my house and it's that's why it's just amazing the sound and the visuals of it. Like you could tell they put a lot of work and love and perfection and pride into this. You have to see it on a big screen, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one thing yeah. to see it on a nice theater at your house but yeah especially the little oohs and ahs like in that mid-credit scene when they showed rama tut in a mortise i could tell the 25 percent of the people there that was like oh my god you know knew had a had a knowledge of it so i'm like yes these are my people so yeah oh yeah that well and that's the thing it's like we love that but i see why some people want like if you're not into marvel and you want opportunity for other things to go to the theater, I get it. Like, I get why people are upset about Marvel's domination, but, like, I don't know. Criticize it for that. Like, criticize yeah. it for what it actually, like, the actual things that you want to fix, not, like, I don't know, not just, like, criticizing the content because you just want to. No, at the end of the day, the theater owners are going to book the, the theaters with the movies that are bringing in people. And if these things are bringing in people for six weeks at six th- screens on their theater they're going to do that because it's making them money. Yeah. There are some, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it. There are some practices I don't like, like some of, uh, some of the things that Marvel apparently will do is like the, or Disney in general, they'll say like, if you want this movie, the tentpole movie, you have to give us this many screens 
this many days in those screens or we, you don't, you don't get it at all. And so it kind of forces the theaters into being like, okay, we're just going to keep running this movie for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the deal is. Um, and so people say that's where the real, like whatever is like, it's, it's Marvel being pushy about like what they get to do with theaters, but like, yeah, that doesn't make the content bad. I laugh about that because that started with George Lucas releasing star Wars. George Lucas is the one who brought the power of the studio telling the theaters what to do to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating that like it's, it's transpired that way. Even him so much as like, if you wanted to air and show attack of the clones back in 2002, you had to buy the digital projectors because it was only digital Mm, and everyone did it. You know what? Everyone has digital projectors now. So, (laughs) yep. Yep. That's interesting, man. Wow. Uh, okay, well, let's get into the kind of meat of this episode, which we're going to talk about some things that are in the movie that are comic references that we might have missed. And I know very little about the comic references of all these characters, so please, uh, what's what's some things we can chat about? Well, the first thing I want to bring up that I saw and had to laugh was when we first saw the inside of Kang's timeship, it was designed kind of... I wouldn't say goofily, but he had, when he had his debut, this floating hover chair type thing that looked exactly like that. <laughs> and I saw it and I saw, I heard a couple people chuckle when they saw that. It was like, yeah, that was Kang's. It was a ridiculous looking, um, kind of see-through pink, almost looked like an oversized, like bean bag, but formed more like how it was there with that, like oval shape and whatever. And because uh, I think this was probably back like in the late 60s or 70s, definitely a Kirby design. But I was like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> that's a deep cut they went. But it was actually kind of uh, funny in that sense. Interesting. You know, I'm, I'm looking it up, just like trying to find a comic versions of that uh, that chair. And, uh, you know, it's funny. There's one here that has him in a chair in, in that chair. I guess it's like the circular back with him and the holding the thing. And it looks so much like Thanos's chair from guardians oh, where he okay. like floats down, which is really funny. Cause it seems like maybe they, maybe they took some uh, cues from that chair that I'm looking at, but I, I see, yeah, there's a bunch of these, like, it's just a big circular chair. I've, I, so I think it was Jeff a few weeks ago was talking about that before the movie came out and he was like, yeah, he like had a chair that allowed him to time travel. I doubt they'll do that though. That's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it seems like that's what they did. They went with the chair, at least with this version. Yeah, they went with the chair with that. So super fun. I didn't think it looked cheesy in the movie though. Like I thought the no, it, cool. it being like fully yeah. And maybe think a lot of Ego's ship and Guardians too. Oh yeah, yeah, totally see that. Oh, the one with the really little tiny man on top. Yes, the little tiny man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as alluded to earlier, um, when Janet and Hank are talking about their paramours when they weren't together, and uh, Hank talks about being with, what what was her name, Linda? But they weren't compatible. Linda. <laughs> I did it with a lady once. That yeah. line, like, he's yeah. just, like, so blunt and funny to me. It's so him. Uh, uh, in the comics, yeah, he has a relationship with a woman named Maria. And they have a daughter, but he doesn't know this because he's already left. And her name is Nadia Van Dyne. Well, she's adopted mm. Nadia Van Dyne. And uh, she becomes the unstoppable oh. wasp. And so that's really cool that they have maybe left a little breadcrumb trail for us that she could potentially show up in the future. There could be a sister out there we don't know about. Yeah. yeah. And what's cool about in the comics is that Nadia, after she is born, 
gets taken by the Winter Soldier to the Red Room to get trained. And she doesn't qualify to be the assassin, but they know her heritage, so they make her into this... Like, super scientist. Super scientist, and then she wants to come and meet... She knows her, her father is Hank Pym, so she goes to find him. He's already dead because he saves Ultron in the comics, so he dies that way. But then Janet adopts her, so that's why she's Nadia Man dying. Okay, so interesting. That, and and she could be cool to bring into. Um, I mean, I guess it's almost like a. I don't know if it would be a replacement for um, Hope because I mean, like we mentioned yesterday, Haley brought up Hope was not used in this movie very much. Yeah, for being the second sure. headliner in the title, she was. Not super present. Well, but you know who was in that uh, Janet, and she's uh, also the lost. Loopholes. I love a loophole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I call it headcanon, but you call it loopholes, whatever. Right. I mean, you knew they were going to have to rely on her because she was the only one that was there. So right. But also, you know, the, the thing is, the whole story from beginning to end has been two Ant-Mans and two Wasps, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the first movie, even though she's not in it, well, she's in it for a second uh, when she goes to the nuclear uh, bomb, but the Wasp and Ant-Man, like, a big part of what this kicks off the story is the fact that the Wasp has, uh, the Ant-Man has lost Wasp, the older mm-hmm. Wasp, and then the next story is about the older Ant-Man is searching for Wasp. That's the entirety of the second movie. There, um, the, the Ant-Man and the Wasp characters are just helping uh, Hank find Janet. Like that's the whole mm-hmm. the journey of that movie. Um, but in this one, you know, the Wasp, the original Wasp, is back and doing a lot of things um, and has her own like quantum powers and stuff. So like, uh, it, it was interesting. I really, I, I thought, I think, I think that's what they're going for. That like, and and Ant Man, the original Hank, like gets to use Ant mm-hmm. powers. You know, yeah. like gets to actually like come to fruition and be this like. Rebel fighter with his ant army. Like, I love it. And Janet calls him Ant Man at one point in the movie, which made me smile. It was cute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I agree, though. uh, Hope is not in the movie near enough for for being a title character. Do you want to uh, allude on what he just said about the ant army? Oh, sure. (laughs) So, in um, some of the comics we read, the ones with uh, Nadia and Scott, they go super subatomic and they're teeny tiny and they're in this. Subatomia world, and to escape it, they basically use some of the creatures that are all bug type creatures around them, and they mm. give them quant or not quantum, but like Ant Man powers, and so they grow, and it's like their little weird ant, but not ant army that helps them out, and it was almost exactly what happened in the movie. It was fun. Oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, so in, but in that, it wasn't actually ants from the uh, from the upper world. It was from. No. Well, if you remember, he's <laughs> okay. sitting there trying to control the one and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden someone comes up behind him and he taps and he's like, I am super compelled to listen to whatever you say and do it. And so he's like, okay, I guess you're the one I'm controlling yeah. that here. <laughs> and it's sort of like, a, you know, they're able to speak because all of them can, you know, especially now when, when in the movie they drink the goo. Mm-hmm. So that way they can, you know, it's like the universal translator type thing. Yeah. Another part of the movie that got me. It was a split second, and it got me so excited, is when Janet was explaining the levels. And she said yeah. when you had to go through Subatomica. Well, Subatomica is huge in the comics. And it actually, we, we were talking about this last night, too, on our show, is that they had a lot of indirect and direct Fantastic Four references in this movie, too. Because Subatomica is the homeworld to, 
I've never liked his name, but his name is Psycho Man, and he's one of the Fantastic Four's enemies, and he's from there in the in the quantum realm. So hmm. when I heard Summer Time, I'm like, oh, maybe we're gonna see like a mid credit scene with Psycho Man or something. He kind of looks a little bit like how the High Evolutionary looks in the trailers for Guardians Three, with the the face with the he's kind of like a high back to it, and it's only like half of a face because he's part robot, part part mm-hmm. you know creature from there. So that was another big you know comic reference that. I'm thinking that if they're saying that, especially that, that that's going to be some kind of tie-in to the Fantastic Four, because we did find out recently, and you probably know this, that they're going to make a huge drop for the information for that movie relatively soon, is what Kevin Feige said. So That's exciting. Uh, that's really exciting. I can't wait. Um, yeah, the, the character of the High Evolutionary that we see in these trailers uh, recently for Guardians, it looks like the younger version of him has like a pretty normal face. Mm-hmm. And then that later version of him looks like has his face pinned back to his helmet, almost like he gave himself like a facelift, but like a face pin back. And it reminds me a lot of that character from Doctor Who from the second episode of the relaunch. You know, the one that's just oh, skin the one that's just and a the, face. the oldest human that is literally just the face just on the picture on the picture frame thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, High Evolutionary does one of those things where he's trying to create the perfect person, hence Adam Warlock. But he also is trying to always improve himself and, you know, modify himself that way, too. So his his main goal is always just, yeah, perfection is what is needed in the universe. So in the comics, I guess, I guess then, uh, is the High Evolutionary responsible for Adam Warlock? hmm And in the show, it looks like the Sovereign, at least, right. were birthing Adam Warlock, in the, you know, at the end of that movie. Right. But I guess, like... Maybe the High Evolutionary was involved? Maybe I would think a little bit. As soon as I saw the High Evolutionary, I'm like, oh, he's got to be tied to Adam Warlock because that's right. a big thing. Him always, in the comics, is him trying to always like run from the High Evolutionary when he ever sees him, when, when he's not powerful enough to beat him because it's just like he's going to take him back and try to perfect him somehow. So, hmm. but he, you know, becomes his own and, you know. Like I, like I said again, it's the Marvel method of taking the kernel of the idea basing it in something you can know about, but then the end result is just completely different, so you're still surprised. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, another big one I saw, and I laughed because I knew that they were going to be in it somehow, but there is, in the Microverse quantum realm, there are these characters called the Micronauts, which are pretty much the... They're also known as the Enigma Force, but those were the freedom fighters that they ran into, um, Jarella cool. and Quaz. And so those actual characters were all in the comics, right? But they Very couldn't cool. name them Micronauts and other stuff because of um, licensing and issues. Like the reason why um, I can't even think of it now. That character that was in Doctor Strange that was the um, Shumagora tentacle creature. Yeah, they couldn't call it that because of. It was linked to the, the. They don't have the rights to that name. They have the rights to the character, but not to that name for the movie. So weird. Interesting. All those the characters pretty much had the same influence and roles. They just weren't called the Micronauts. And the thing is, though, it really didn't matter because people probably have no idea who the Micronauts or anything are beforehand, <laughs> right. anyway. So yeah, you know, one thing I uh, we were talking about a minute ago, and I had I wanted to talk, mention this, but like one thing I thought I was surprised didn't come back is when. Kang first crashes and Janet saves his life and he saves her life from that like weird creature that's splitting, you know, Mm -hmm. 
I was surprised they didn't like when I saw that. When I saw like, oh, this is I, this is our first look at the quantum realm and our first look at what this land is like, and we see this creature split into two and then attack Janet. I thought for sure that that was going to be like something that came back. You know what I mean? Like those creatures or like some version of like you know wildlife that can split in two or whatever. Um, or that was a hint at what was going to be happening with Ant-Man later. I was going to say um, that endless possibilities thing that happens with Scott and with Hope, um, they base that out of the comics too, where it's like, here's all the possibilities and you just keep multiplying and multiplying and it's crazy until you can snap into focus what you actually need to do. And yeah, I think they could be, it could have been a little foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that was what it was. Maybe the place where they are. I thought that the probability stuff was a result of the um the energy source what she does when she creates the storm or whatever mm-hmm. I, I don't know i don't know what she's doing when she c- covers it in those uh discs and then slams it on the ground i thought that splitting was a result that probability storm was a result of that but maybe that storm existed in that, that area prior which is why that thing splits into two i don't i don't know i was just i was confused by that and how Though, just from a movie structure standpoint, when I saw that happen, I was like, "Oh, that's going to be a thing we see happen later, and it's going to tie. It's going to like be a thing that we see at a certain moment." When in the comics, right, Brian? It was because they were so small; they'd gotten so small that they were becoming quantum particles, right? Right, and quantum particles exist in all of their possible forms all at one time, right. supposedly. Yeah, and so since when they but were they, going in yeah. the storm, they kept having to shrink smaller and smaller and smaller. I think that's what mm. they were getting at. And they sort of allude to that with this when he says, "You're Schrodinger's cat, but all versions." Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, the box isn't open yet. You're in there. The possibility storm, probability storm. Is that what was it? I'm forgetting the name. Probability storm. Yeah. I think. I think, I think so. probability I think so. possibility pretty much the, you know. I don't know. I've only seen it once. <laughs> <laughs> same, same, same. One of the other big ones I saw, and I think this is just a, a design aesthetic because we've seen the way that it looked before, is that his citadel, that big tower thing he had, mm, reminded yeah. me of the uh, Chronopolis, which is a his pretty much base of operations when he's doing time traveling. It's set in limbo. And it's sort of like pretty much what it looked like, especially when they put the um, barrier around it, like that half dome thingy type thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that looked exactly like Chronopolis in a sense, which that was the only thing I thought was maybe a little disappointing to me because we all kind of alluded to this and thought that we'd find out that the TVA was actually located in the quantum realm because of yeah, how we saw it, what it looked sure. like. And then we saw when in the first or second movie when they showed some stuff in the quantum realm. There was that little city in the background, like, ooh, well, that might just end up being, you know, this whatever realm they're in now. Yeah, we, we definitely talked a lot about that. Um, I still want clarity on what the quantum realm is. Like, it just seems like they're, they're setting the rules so loosely. And I've said this over and over about a thousand different sh- movies, but, like, if your rules are too loose, it's hard to have stakes. Mm-hmm. And so... In this movie, they go down there, but she says, she says a few sentences about the quantum realm. She's like, endless worlds. So, okay. Like, are, is, this is, is this one of the endless worlds? And she says, worlds on worlds. So, does that mean that the quantum realm, the part they're on, is one size, but if you go even smaller, you go to further down 
like worlds or are they saying like there's just a lot of space with a lot of worlds filling it inside of this he also talks about how he was uh conquering the quantum realm parts of it is he just quantuming this one i don't know for lack of a better word rock inside the quantum realm are there more planets like worlds is that what she means or is it more like there's different realms down there like i don't i feel like they're they're making this very loose so they can kind of do whatever they want in the future if that makes sense i think they're setting it up to let you have the type of discussion like this to my mind what we're thinking is when we see them traveling in the beginning when they're getting sucked in and they're going through at least three different distinct like layers in a sense i think like the first one obviously the top layer is the layer that scott was trapped in in at the end of at the last movie before he got pulled out in Endgame because that's the one that's really, you know, the, the five years feels only like five hours. But that's also, I think, Janet going, I don't want to send you too deep because I know, because the remember, the reason why they're sending him in is just to collect the quantum energy to save ghosts. Sure, sure. But then you see, when she explains it, you go through Subatomica then in order to get to the next level. So I'm thinking it's like the main level where Scott was in the first movie, or in the second movie at the end, then that Summertomica, and then where Janet is now, and that they're, that's what they were mapping. Sort of Kang's world, or whatever. So, and then, but from in there, it could just be, who knows? I mean, rules are different, and yeah. I guess that's the thing, is they don't know quite yet, so. Right, and it could go deeper down, or it could go, it's just interesting, because they introduced it in such a way that I'm like, okay, is the Quantum Realm the new cosmic you know what I mean? Like Marvel has an endless cosmic world to explore mm-hmm. and the Guardians sort of introduced that and we're going to be getting more and more movies out in the cosmic part of this universe. Uh, we've got the, you know, the scroll and Kree war that's sort of been centralized, uh, but there's a lot more that they could explore out there. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, the, is this just another completely new realm that we can explore? Kind of like magic. Magic's also a whole new realm that we can explore because uh, magic has all these different. Um, they call them realms, which is confusing. <laughs> but like or dimensions, yeah, dimensions, yeah. realms. Uh, also, you know, Thor talks about the, the the nine realms, which is a different thing. So it's it's that seems more like it's just different planets, I guess. It's different planets, I think that the Bifrost sends you to, but yeah, um, I'm thinking that so far, pretty much all we know the rules of for sure is not even we know them for sure because we don't know what they are. Is like that first level where Scott was is what he used in in Endgame to use the time travel because that's where time is all messed up. Well, yes, it's messed up, but we had this discussion about it uh, on another episode where. Somebody was saying, why, did, why didn't they come back a lot later? Because it was five hours, and they seemed like they were down there a long, long, long time. Why wasn't it 20 years later or whatever, you know? But the thing is, like, Janet says before she shrinks down, and this is another, like, they seem like they're just having, the, having their cake and eating it, too. Before she shrinks down, she says, uh, watch out for time eddies, I think, is the line. <laughs> so it's like, I think we're supposed to believe that he went through a time eddy, and, like, when he comes back, uh, Tony says that was a one in a million shot. What you did, like getting down there and ending up here, was a one in a million shot. So like, it doesn't seem like that five hours and five years thing is like some sort of rule. It just seems like something that happened to Scott. You know what I mean? Kind of like what happened to the ants. Like they went to a whole other place and they had a thousand year civilization or whatever. Exactly. They ended up somewhere completely different. And of course, Tony 
made the quantum GPS that allows him to navigate the quantum realm to use it to travel to different points in time. So he somehow understands how the quantum realm works and where those time eddies are. Maybe, maybe he's using time eddies. I don't know. It's, it's tough. <laughs> they, they did explain to two things. I think one, we know that time does work differently in different places because originally Janet was in there for 30 years and she aged 30 years. Yes. Right. And then they even said is that Hank was so amazed with this because he goes, she's like, when you're looking into here from your thing, you're only seeing that top level. You're only seeing pretty much like the top of the atmosphere. You're not going that down deep into it, which is why we thought if you keep going into it, like at the beginning of the, or at the end of the first movie, when Darren just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, you know, not only is he going to turn into MODOK, but we didn't know because they didn't know or understand what happened between those levels or how deep you go because Janet didn't tell anybody either. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this movie could have been, I mean, it would have been a movie if there would have been a little bit more open discussion between, you know, Janet and Hank and them, because a lot of the stuff they were doing, you know, with Cassie and uh, Hope and Hank, not letting Scott and Janet know, especially you saw Janet's face as soon as they were explaining what they were going to do, like, stop, stop, stop. No, 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 no. We don't want to get involved with what you're doing. And then boom, the movie started, like the quantum realm part started. So yeah, I freaking love the tight hot wet continuity that like in the first movie two people have their regulators turned off and they both end up in the quantum realm you know i just Mm -hmm. really love that like yeah they ended up in the quantum realm whatever that's just death as far as we understand it except for scott Mm -hmm. made it back so then we start i love that they've pieced that together through the first movie second movie they learn people can come back third movie they learn the extent of what's down there at least least as much as Janet knows, which there could be a lot more down there that we don't even know yet. I just, I'm loving how the Ant-Man movies as a trilogy hang together around the quantum realm, you know? A lot of the times when the Marvel movies or any of these big tentpole, you know, popcorn movies get too thinky, I guess, if you want to say for lack of a better term, some people could be like, yeah, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to watch Inception or... You know, something like that that makes you think when you're doing it. Where here, it's not. It doesn't really make you think because they're explaining it to you while it's happening. And so yes, but you do have to remember and understand what's going on. But then again, the Ant Man movies have always been kind of loose with definitions of their science. With you right. know, when you shrink, your mass stays the same, but it doesn't. But it does. But it yeah, doesn't. oh yeah, so. that's so that annoys me so much. In the, I guess all three. The Ant Man movies rely on glossing over things <laughs> to get by. <laughs> they they do, and the Marvel movies in general yeah. do to some degree. <laughs> Anything that involves science fiction, science does to some degree. Um, but I, I I both hate and love how loose they leave things open because you can always find like a loophole, let's say, to navigate through uh, to figure out the the head cannon. But like, <laughs> I also like rules because it gives me stakes. So I'm you know. <laughs> Oh, the stakes are coming, um, I'm pretty sure. Good. Oh, I yeah. I love steak. Give me some uh, A1 sauce. Yep. Medium <laughs> rare. <laughs> Medium rare, baby. Medium rare. The stakes being, for me, is with the stuff I think that they keep dropping and what we already know about. Um, we were talking about this earlier. Have they confirmed that Secret Wars is being split into two movies, or is that just a rumor right now? Ooh, I don't know. Actually, because I saw something that they were gonna they were gonna split it, but um, either way, I I think if it's gonna be Secret Wars, they can't really make it into one movie. I think it's gonna be like maybe like an event type thing that leads up to a bunch of other things lead up to it. Because 
with the way that they're doing with all of this, the incursions and, you know, the multiverse type thing, I'm thinking that, you know, the secret wars we're getting is going to be the, the battle world, multiple versions of people fighting yeah. against each other. And, and then when they finally do finish it off and weed it down, there's only one left that we see because they close off the TVA takes control again. And we have all the different versions that we know, but that's how we get our mutants into our timeline. That's how we get our fantastic four. I think so. Yeah. Very I well think their whole be. reason why they did this whole multiversal thing is in order to include all the Fox properties in a way with that doesn't have to be, you know, back explained. It was like they were here, but in another timeline. So now they're here. So. Yeah, exactly. And there may be some versions in, in the, that universe as well, you know, um, yeah. but we'll see. We will see. Um, the only thing I have left, it's not a comic reference, but it's actually kind of a really cool cameo deep cut. Did you hear, do you remember the band from the nineties eels? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So their lead singer E or Mark Oliver Everett had a cameo in the movie and he was at the beginning. He was credited as man jogging with dog. So it's like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. What's kind of cool too, is that he is the son of Hugh Everett, the third, who is a physicist who was laughed out of almost almost laughed out of physics because he was the originator of the many worlds interpretation of quantum theory or the multiverse. Yeah. So hmm. the fact is that he, you know, his dad was the one that basically back in the fifties had the first thought of that there was different universes stacked on top of each other, all living that they, they can't get together, but they they're there. And they all laughed about it. And then like in the seventies, I guess they brought it back in and they're like, maybe this might work. So yeah. for him to be his son, and then he's a you know little cameo in the movie, and he's kind of a you know eels are still a pretty popular band. So mm. that's really I thought cool. that was kind of uh, an interesting little piece of trivia. Yeah, I love the eels, and that's really neat that he has that connection to science. Very very yeah. interesting, and like that has led to so many cool science fiction stories. Even if mm-hmm. that science is BS, you know, it's led to. It kind of leads that the the idea that it's possible leads us to so much of what we have today in uh, science fiction. I really love it. Oh yeah, I mean, we, we, it almost to the point where now everyone thinks that that is a you know relatively possible theory. It could yeah, be. It is. So. It is a reasonable theory that people discuss and uh, right. very much popularized by media, which is interesting in itself. Like, uh, I wonder how much more accepting of the idea they even are because we've all seen it played out in media our whole lives. So we're like, okay, well maybe it's possible. Like how did, how would it work? And then, Oh, the math kind of works. So mm-hmm. it's a possibility. Science fiction, a precursor to science fact. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I have more faith that that is possible than the, uh, that what we're all living in a simulation and we're all computer programs, you know? Yeah. Beep, boop, boop. I mean, I can see glitches sometimes, but I'm pretty sure this isn't the Matrix because I can't run up walls at command. And- I get deja vu. Is that a glitch? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a great, like, that. I, th- I think that's such a clever thing in the Matrix. The, the combining of, like, you know, the idea of deja vu, making it seem like that's a, uh, that's a glitch in the Matrix. Because then every time you hear have that for the rest of your life, you're like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I believe. <laughs> Hold on, can I like, stop time? Yeah. <laughs> Neo, I believe. Sorry. That's from the part that everybody hates. Okay. <laughs> Not like this. Um. <laughs> Not like this. 
I, I wasn't keeping count, so I wasn't sure how far we'd gone. <laughs> I think we almost hit it. And up. I think some of, the la- <laughs> some of them sort of like flowed into each other, so whatever. Uh, it's eight-ish things. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a character called the Giant Gratu, which was a giant ant that was used by Hank Pym to um, invent to battle something in the quantum realm. So that kind of can almost be another reference to his uh those ants that you know were evolved and all that other stuff yeah and and and, and the end he i think grew a couple of them in that big battle force that that overtakes king's uh, fortress they were big ants yeah yeah i love it i mean i I think that's what's kind of thing too is that at the beginning of the movie he showed that to scott being like they're intelligent because he showed that ant farm yeah he'd been making technology for them so they could be more intelligent and have more tools and stuff and then they kept really laying it into that this thing got sucked in because they're like running along it at one time and then they see it, you know, them them breaking apart into it. So it's like, okay, these guys are going to have to come back some part in the movie and help them. So. Yeah, I was waiting on them to show up, but then the way they showed up was so great. I love, I mean, like, I love the idea of this like colony of ants that's had a thousand years of development um, with extra technology from Hank Pym. So it's just, they, they've built their own technology, he says, and stuff. It's just so cool. I just love ants. And for, and for, the, <laughs> <laughs> and for them being down there, the way they looked, everyone else could have just been like, no, there's another creature that are down here that have holes in them, so. <laughs> oh, the holes. We won't get into another holes discussion. No. Uh, we, we posted one this morning that uh, has gotten a lot of traction. Uh, the, the previous episode, a lot of people are talking about me and Ashley's holes discussion. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that I looked it up that that was, I mean, you probably already knew this, that it was voiced by David Desmalshian. Yeah, Kurt, right? From Kurt the, from the first previous movies. movies. Yeah, that's really He cool. did have a role. I mean, I could kind of see, I know people were a little bit upset that Luis and those guys weren't in it, but it was like they had no time. I mean, he could have probably been it at the beginning, you know, but they gave us Jimmy Woo and the little, you know. Yeah, I just, to me, Luis is incredibly central to the Ant-Man you know, m- movies, and so it just really is upsetting to not have Louise. I was really hoping for three cons and a baby flashback because I thought that theory you and Jeff came up with was amazing that they raised Cassie. Thank the you. <laughs> I love that theory, and I wanted it so bad. We, we were talking about like uh, I don't know if you've heard that BVK, but like mm-hmm. we we're talking about the idea that she's like in prison near the beginning of the movie, and then I was like, what if she lost both her parents in the blip too, like her her mom and her stepdad. And then she had to be taken care of by somebody. And it was the ex-cons, like three men, <laughs> three men and a, I don't know, quantum baby or something like that. Uh, and then that's why she's like got some extra, uh, extra, you know, juvenile delinquency going on. <laughs> but it did not end no. up working. But I, I, I love it, though. I love the idea of a flashback of those guys raising her. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I still want to know. I, I'm assuming one of her parents, either her mom or her stepdad stuck around during the blip. I guess. Maybe they'll Oops. tell us someday. Yeah. Maybe they won't. <laughs> Maybe they won't. They'll leave it open to interpretation until... And this is the nice thing. You'll leave these things in a quantum state of flux so that like both can exist. Both versions exist until you say otherwise on screen. So if one day you have a story you really want to tell, then you give you know, you give that backstory of what happened during the blip and give Cassie's story. Uh, It's probably smarter to do that than just do that whole storyline just to include a cameo from Luis. Boo, I disagree. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I miss Luis. I just miss Luis. I do too. (laughs) Yeah. 
he might go and be able to like uh recap when in some other property to be like this is what happened why we all have to fear kang from <laughs> yeah what scott told him and then he like he tells it so yeah it's always like he said she said stuff so it'd be great to hear him try to explain kang to somebody <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, like it'd be nice if he was the guy who goes to the Avengers in another movie to like tell him about Kang. Like, hey, uh, Scotty's Scotty's gone. Uh, I I got this. Uh, I but he told me about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of what properties coming up that he could do it because it definitely wouldn't be that would be wouldn't work for Secret Invasion. I'm really hopeful that the Marvels is related to the multiverse because I mean we've already got. It's a, the character Photon or whatever, uh, Maria Rambo. Yeah. That, like, is it Monica? Monica or Maria? Monica. Monica, Monica. Rambo is, Monica the, is the, yeah, the is. daughter. I, I always get those two confused. Uh, but my, we got Monica Rambo that seems to draw her power from like the Hex, which was sort of like a different universe. So that kind of relates to like possible universe jumping. Uh, we've got the Bangle, which a lot of people are speculating might have something to do with multiversal stuff. We've got the, um, end of Shang-Chi where the, where the beacon is going off. So like, what does the beacon mean? I'm really hoping the beacon has something to do with the multiverse. I think the beacon definitely will tie into the Marvels. And I just rewatched Shang-Chi on Valentine's day. Cause what is it? If not a Valentine's day movie? Oh, for sure. So romantic. And I, it got me really excited for the Marvels. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, and I, I sure it just, it's the next logical place for that, the beacon to be picked up. And if, the Marvels doesn't connect. It just feels like that beacon d- is going to leave the multiverse out of a lot of stories going forward. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like that beacon not connecting to the multiverse will leave will leave us out in the cold from the multiverse with more movies. And I need I need more of these movies to like start building towards the big thing. I think because I we didn't really get that. We talked we talked about it before, but like we we didn't really get that with Phase One, Two, and Three. As the, although Thanos was a present since Avengers. Like he wasn't, we barely saw him. This uh-huh. one, we've had two major properties. We've had almost like an hour of screen time with Kang already, and we've still got what, like seven, eight, nine, ten movies before the end of the before Kang Dynasty. So I love that we're getting this like better sprinkled in Kang. Uh, the big bad is like building and building and building, so we can really fear him by the time we get to Kang Dynasty. Right, because you got to think between Avengers, we had what was it dark world no what was the one at the end where he said fine i'll do it myself that wasn't at the end of dark world but we only saw that's him at the end of i mean guard avengers was that the end no of, no i thought the end of avengers was ultron. him just showing his face right it was that okay ultron was that but then we had guardians where he was in it a bit and then after that we didn't see him again until infinity war right so yeah he didn't need to be in it he knew he was out there Mm-hmm. but we didn't need to know now it seems like this king is going to be a little bit more present yeah. and yeah yeah because his he has a clear and um present objective of what he wants to do where thanos was pretty much just like i'm gonna be here you know yeah i agree completely i think that's exactly it like they're really taking their time with kang and like sprinkling him and it's just exciting it's just really exciting right um anyway so uh i guess that's about all like, do you guys have any Anything else you want to say about source pages or where people can find it before we head out? Yeah, we want to plug our review contest that's going on. If you give us a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts between now and the end of March, March 31st, 2023, 
You'll be entered into a chance to win Scott Lang's book featured in the movie, Look Out for the Little Guy, which Disney Books is actually putting out the actual book. And if they don't put out Paul Rudd reading the audio version of it, we riot. Right. But that's the prize. Uh, It comes out in September, so you will have to wait a little bit, but we're good for it, we promise. And we would super appreciate that. And if you can't remember all that, we have it posted on our socials. And we have a Twitter, Instagram, and a Facebook page. So check us out there, and we'd love to hang out with you guys on our podcast and listen to us talk about what we're reading. We're going to start diving into Secret Wars next week, so get ready for that. Right, and remind me, and I'll put it on your page. I'll put that contest information on your page on Stranded Panda as well, so people can go to strandedpanda.com and then click on source pages, and it'll be there too. Uh, But just go give them a five-star review and then listen out for the contest winner. And make the review at least have a little bit of substance, not like, oh, I'm making a five-star review for the contest. Yeah. That we need a little bit. For anyone who's unfamiliar with what our podcast is, Haley and I take comics and novels and discuss them as primers for upcoming things or continuations of, you know, stories. You know, Avatar The Last Airbender ended, but they continued it in novel form. So talk about that. Or we talk about novels that are being adapted, like we've done Dune, and we're going to continue doing Dune, but things that are like in that, it's it's all geeky stuff. We're not going to talk about Law and Order or <laughs> stuff like that, but it's anything that is in like the um, the genre type milieu, we will we'll cover it. And so, yeah, we end up talking about pretty much anything. It focuses on Marvel and Star Wars, and we, we do stuff for DC and other properties that come up that are... You know, we find cool, but there's just so much out there that we can't cover everything. But we mainly are covering comics that are going to be, you know, used as primers for upcoming movies and TV shows. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's great if you're a reader. It's like a book club, it's, but it's for two types of people, readers and non-readers. <laughs> because if you mm-hmm. aren't a reader, you can like kind of get the information without reading, like me. Uh <laughs> Yeah, basically what we do is we'll tell you, like, okay, for this movie, we're going to cover these eight issues of a comic run, and then when we record for it, Haley and I will discuss all the, we'll basically walk through those eight issues one by one, talking about the high points in the story. We're not going to get and basically read the comics to you, we're not an audiobook podcast, but it's just like we are giving you the, the highlights of it, too, and most of the stuff, so... If you want to read along after beforehand or just listen to what we say and get your information from that, either way, we appreciate any kind of listens we can get. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, everybody check it out. Source pages on all the podcatchers. Search them out. Mm -hmm. Go subscribe. Check it out. Uh, And uh, if you want to support this show, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're making trying to trying to keep the keep the content up at three episodes a week. Uh, two to three every week. We're talking about Marvel stuff. Tons more to talk about about this movie. Uh, it looks like we're going to have some uh, Secret Invasion dropping soon, and we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we don't know a date yet, but it looks like that's the next one according to their plan. Uh, mm-hmm. But I see Loki might be dropping a trailer soon, so that's exciting. I don't know. We got lots of things to talk about. Join us in that sub or uh, go to patreon.com slash mcucast and throw us a, uh, a uh, patron subscription. It really helps us keep the show Go in and keep the content uh, flowing, and uh, and you get some extra cool episodes every month. We're going to be dropping some uh, exclusive exclusives over there. So thanks so much. We'll be back soon. Peace. Until next time, true believers. Thank you for joining us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. 
and a special thanks to all of our subscribers at patreon.com slash mcucast you make this show possible a big shout out to our brand new first ever illuminati tier patron walter kreisky the third thank you sir if you want to find all of our fine Stranded Panda podcasts, go to strandedpanda.com. And for a video version, check out youtube.com slash strandedpanda. And if you want to take part in our live streams, go to twitch.tv slash strandedpandatv. 